Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. Oh, and my name is Marshall. I was lost in the music there. A little fired up today. A little bit. A little fired up. Ready I, to do this one. I was. Well, we were waiting for you to get set up. Alex just put the headphones on and I mm-hmm. just like ranted. Oh, yeah? Just because I just had a lot built up in me. Mm-hmm. So it was fun. And then I came in ranting. You did? <laughs> Yeah. Like so, a- so here's here's my rant. Okay. It's going to come out through the podcast. This podcast will be the rant. We've re- we've referenced in the last two podcasts a guy that we've pointed to who does a uh, government funded explanation oh, of yeah. <laughs> yes of the different arguments we're talking about. Yes, he does. How dismissive he is out of hand he of is. these arguments for God. Yeah. And how inadequately he provides support. And that's not just to say we disagree, so I find his uh, retorts to be inadequate. It's to say he just says things like, but science, right, and then moves on. Right. As if that was a point. Um, <laughs> and I literally what he did. This yeah. Week. And so I didn't have time to watch it. I threw it on really quickly before I came in here. Yeah. I'm fired up. I'm ready to do this. <laughs> so I watched it because this has been kind of like, so this is this guy who does these like eight minute philosophy videos mm-hmm. and, and is not, not a believer by any stretch. And so it's kind of in a very popular channel. So it was kind of a good source for us to kind of touch base on to see, yeah. okay, what is the kind of the, the, you know, the popular argumentation against what it is that we're going to be talking about. And as you mentioned, like, yeah, sometimes it really falls flat. You kind of yeah. want more from me. You're like, come on, man, you can no, do I do. better than that. I do. In fact, the first time I, you know what, I'm going to drop it because yeah. I think it's, this is why I think it's useful. Yeah. So it's PBS. Yeah. And it's called um, Philosophy. Oh, shoot. I, I should, I should even know. Anyway, the reason I watched it is because it's valuable to know what other people think. Yes. If they have a really good point, What's called crash course. Crash course philosophy. That's right. If they have a really good point, I need to consider that. For sure. My my goal here is not to prove my point. Mm. My goal here is to think through the points mm. and arrive at truth. Exactly. Right? I I have no time or desire to come in with a preconceived set of ideas and defend them if they're indefensible. Right. Yeah, if we're wrong about this, like I could save a whole lot of money dropping out of seminary and make a whole lot more money going back into the business world. Absolutely. Right? Like if this is all just a bunch of hogwash, like I could do better for myself. Right. A hundred percent. Right. And so and so I wanted to see what he was doing, what he would have to say. Right. So that one, I expand myself. And two, I listen to what the world says in retort. And say, and I'm able to process that. And if not just for my own development, I'm able to say, hey, this is how I would answer that. Right. But you're right. I, I watch it and I just sit there thinking, surely you have more than this. Yeah. And, and the reason I decided to, to drop that it's PBS and the name of the show and all that sort of thing <clears throat> is because I, I, I feel like it could be useful for a listener who's learning these things to be able to go, okay, this sounds like a reasonable argument. But I'm sure the opposing arguments are equally as reasonable. Right. And to go back and listen to those arguments and go, that's not really reasonable. Right, right. Right? Um, I I think that's a useful thing. The thing that I find most fascinating about the show is the comment section is turned off. Oh, I haven't noticed that. It is. In every episode where they handle Does God Exist?, the comments are turned off. Interesting. And I wonder and if it's because he was getting blasted. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, so anyway, the question continues to be, does God exist? Exactly. So the question is, mm. does God exist? Right. The question is not, 
is the God of the Bible the one true God? Yeah. Perfectly delivered to us through the scriptural revelations mm-hmm. in whom we can place our faith and salvation yeah. and eternal life. Yeah. Does Yahweh exist? Right. Does is is Christ the Son the perfect expression in right. human form? This is we're not there yet. We will get there. Right. But that's not where we are right now. So one of the things that people are going to come against in in our guy does this in the cosmological argument, mm. right? He comes against it and says, this is not enough to prove the God of the Bible. Well, awesome, that wasn't the job. No. Right? The job was to say, is deism reasonable? Right. Is it reasonable? Or theism. Or theism, what? right. Is it reasonable to believe in a God? Right. That is what the last, or counting this one, the last three episodes are about. Right. Think about it like this. Because you might listen to that and you might think, well, that's a little bit dangerous, right? We're just trying to prove that a God exists and you could be talking about Islam. Sure. And I'm going to say 100% that's true. Oh, yeah. But Muslims, we're trying. Devout Muslims would agree with virtually everything yeah. that we've argued thus far. But this isn't a problem. Right. We're trying to get to Toronto. Right. We do that by driving first to Shakespeare. Right. Right? We don't get to Shakespeare and go, hey, we've made it. If if you're not from the area, you, you have no idea what we're Google Map about. Stratford. <laughs> we got to go to Stratford. Right. We got to go to we got to Shakespeare. We got to go to Kitchener. Right. We're gonna drive through a bit of the Horseshoe into the GTA, and we'll get to Toronto. Right. This is a step along the way. Right. Right. Before we can say these are the truths that God has taught us, we have to first build a defense, a foundation. Is it even reasonable to believe that that God exists? Right, exactly. That's what we're doing today, and we just wanted to hammer that nail one yeah. more time. Yeah. So as a super, 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 super brief recap, we touched on the cosmological argument. The universe has motion. Why is there something instead of nothing? There is a beginning. Yes, exactly, right? So so that is kind of what we touched on then, and then we went to the ontological argument, which I recently found out that one of my good buddies who I met at seminary, who's now uh, studying in the States. He's a Dutch Reformed guy, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, helped him get set up with a, an internship here locally at the Christian Reformed Church. He actually, his journey to faith began with someone presenting the ontological argument to oh, him. Oh, wow. Yeah, while playing video games with some dude in the States. Really? And this guy's they're just chatting about heavy subjects, and this this believer from like, I don't know where he's from, like somewhere in the South, like Texas or something, was like, hey, have you ever considered this and this and this and this? And that kind of projected him on a road of searching for God and then ends up, now he's studying to be a reformed pastor right. in the States. Uh, he's so actually, that argument, is it possible that God exists? Yeah. That ontological yeah, the, argument. The, the maximally great being who mm-hmm. must exist, right? Um, but today we're going to get to the teleological argument. So you've got a lot of... L- Logical, yeah, cosmological, ontological, teleological. Right. So let's break this down a bit. So teleological, the the teleo part of that word comes from the Greek word telos, which I cracked open some of those fancy purple. Those are so great. Greek encyclopedias, right? Uh, telos means fulfillment, completion perfection, goal. It, it's a very broad, it's got a very broad range, mm-hmm. but all of them kind of are connected to what we're going to be talking about today. It's actually a very important word in the New Testament. It's one of those words, like a lot of people get really fixated on words like agape mm-hmm. for love, for example. Um, telos or teleo, which is the verb to fulfill, to complete, to perfect, whatever. That's an important word in scripture. Okay. So if 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 anybody's, you know, wanting to nerd out in Greek, like it's a good word to know. The teleological argument, it has a similar goal to the cosmological argument. But it gets, I guess you could say it gets to the the finish so it has a similar goal, telos, mm-hmm. to the cosmological argument, but it gets to the finish line, telos, uh, by a slightly different route. Right. Um it goes kind of a different way than the cosmological argument does. 
rather than kind of the cosmological argument is very concerned with the origin, mm-hmm. the beginning. Right. And so by arguing from the beginning point gets to an end, the teleological argument does the reverse. It kind of points to the end and then infers the beginning. Right. Okay. So again, hopefully we weren't losing people. We'll get into it. Um, but the idea is that by seeing the end goal, the purpose or the fulfillment of existence, we can see that there must have been not just a beginning, but a beginning with purpose mm-hmm. and design, right? Oftentimes, the teleological argument will be, in modern expressions, is kind of described as the argument for intelligent design. Right. Um, which seems like we're, we're starting at the beginning, but we're actually starting at the end. Um, so, okay, here, do you have anything to add at this point? No. Okay. No. So I want to just kind of get into a little bit of the, the history of how people have thought about this. Mm-hmm. Because interestingly enough, this is not something that just Christians came up with, like that William Lane Craig just kind of like sitting in his lovely office just was like, hey, here's an idea. This has deep, deep roots in history. And it was initially expressed by, guess who? Uh, the Greeks. <laughs> Long before Christianity. If you read early Christian apologists, guys like Justin Martyr, uh, Origen, um, even Augustine, these guys from early Christian history, they loved the Greek philosophers because they felt like at least some of them came ridiculously close to the truth that is revealed to us in Christ without any of that revelation. Right. Just merely from examining the world around them, thinking deeply about things, thinking about thinking they came like so close to the, to the point where Justin Martyr will essentially like will argue that guys like Plato were men of faith even though they didn't realize it which which might be going too far but that's where he Yeah was I, at. I would say I would say it's too far but I they're so so if you've ever talked with a Sikh about their faith okay yeah they'll tell you one true god Revealed by nature, mm. will be revealed by himself when he decides to. We don't know who this is, but we will. Right. And you're like, oh, I know. And you're just like, buddy. You're so close. You're standing at the doormat. Mm-hmm. And the door's open. Just come on in. Yeah. So so when, when we're starting with Greek philosophy, the kind of the starting point often is Socrates, although there were guys before him. Um, so he might have been even himself borrowing from guys. And he didn't actually write anything down. Everything we know about him comes from other guys. Mm-hmm. But essentially, he, along with others, recognized an order in the natural world. They're just like, okay, there are, there are systems and patterns. This all makes sense, right? Like, this isn't just utter chaos. This isn't just utter nonsense. There is there is a pattern here. There seems to be purpose here. There was one Greek philosopher named Empedocles, and get this, he even suggested that life and order in the universe was caused by divine love. Mm. So a divine, almost personification, although he might not have used that word, of love. And it's very interesting when we compare that to First John, who right. says that God is love. Right. So these Greeks, five, six hundred years before Jesus was born, are, are thinking these things, saying these things, writing these things down. And so Socrates was said to have taken some of his young pupils into a marketplace. And he asked them, hey, guys, uh, what here do you think is the product of design? And what's just caused by blind luck? Right. Right. OK, so take that kind of think about that, differentiate those two categories in your mind, and then just take that and compare it to the natural world around you. And what do you think? It was just kind of this exercise. It wasn't even like him coming to conclusions. He was just like, what do you, what do you guys see? What what are the types of things that make you think there is some degree of, uh, artistry here? Right. right? Um, and then Aristotle, who we've mentioned before, was much more concerned with the physical world than Socrates or Plato was. He recognized the necessity of purpose in the natural order, right? He's like, nature has a purpose in the same way art has a purpose, right? 
which again, just, oh, it gets so close. It gets so close, right? Because if art is created by an artist, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 and the appreciation of art is an appreciation of the artist. It's like, oh, we're getting so right. close to the glory of God revealed in his creation, right? Um, in the Roman era, there's the Stoics who were, you know, not the best. Even Paul kind of goes toe-to-toe with them on some things. But but there's a guy by the name of Cicero. You might have heard the mm-hmm. name Cicero. Very famous Roman writer. Very intelligent guy. I mean, guys like Cicero and others are just like a constant reminder for me that we are not the smartest people to have walked the face of the earth. Um, even though he had far less at his disposable, uh, his disposal than we have. He, I, I had a professor. Yeah. An uh, ancient world history professor who insisted that you would pronounce it Kikoro. Kikoro. And I'm sure we didn't spend too much time, but it felt like the entire semester I listened to that and it just, I flinched every time. Kikoro. Yeah, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> okay. I'm going to call him Cicero just because Absolutely. in my head, that's who it is. But whatever, however you pronounce his name, whatever. But he wrote, that when you see a sundial or a water clock, you see that it tells time by design and not by chance. How then can you imagine that the universe as a whole is devoid of purpose and intelligence when it embraces everything, including these artifacts, the water clock and sundial, mm-hmm. themselves and their artificers, so the people who made them, right? So even he's like, look, you see a sundial, which is so close to like, a later Christian argument about the watchmaker, right? right? <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's the same argument. It's, it's just a different mechanism. Yeah, it's literally just a, a greater degree of complexity, right, later on. But that that's what it is, right? And and even Islamic apologists in the Middle Ages are going to argue for the side of, side of things. Now, some Muslims are going to push back, as some Christians will push back against some of the arguments that we've we've been going through, right? To say, they would say the Quran is enough. People would say the Bible is enough. You don't need philosophy, just go with the holy text. That's all you need. Um, but again, as we've mentioned before, natural philosophy, or rather I should say general revelation versus special revelation, mm-hmm. right? So we're kind of doing things in that order. Yeah, and, and I would say, is the Bible enough? Yes. Yeah. But that's not all that God's given us. Right. And so to just say, well, we're only going to work with a portion of what God has given us to work with— even though he's given us freedom and opportunity to work with the whole, it's not mm. it's not more holy to say, well, I can do this with my eyes closed, right? right. I can take just part of what I have and, and do it, right? It, it doesn't make it better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, also, if you want to start there and you're talking to a non-believer, you've got you've got to backtrack so much to prove that the Bible is authoritative, right? Right. You're there because the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to a number of things along the way that you're presuming to be true about this person as well that is not true. Right, right. Yeah, yeah and I, I would like to think that the way that we're we're going to try to go about, at least in the early part of this year with our podcast, if you're dealing with someone who's like an ardent, who's an atheist or an agnostic, Mm-hmm. That like the progression with which we are going through these things. So first just kind of dealing with like, is there a God? Can there be a God? And then getting into the specifics of the Christian worldview and scripture and all these things, the historicity of Jesus and all these things that we're going to talk about coming down the line would kind of be hopefully some kind of like pattern or framework. Yeah. Like in my, in in a perfect world. Make plans. They're going to have communion with you next year at Christmas. (laughs) I called it. In a, How could they not? In a in a perfect world, yeah, I love that actually. In a perfect world, people are having a, a weekly conversation with somebody, mm-hmm. and our podcast is somehow equipping them for that, those conversations. But maybe it is, maybe it's not. But whatever. Um, Jewish philosophers, even right, will will echo this. Of course, they will. Right? Um, it, is it possible? Uh, Maimonides, who is again, a, a major, major player in the development of, of philosophy from the Jewish perspective is going to say, you know, if it's, is it possible? He'll ask the question, is it possible that, that we have the world without a guide, mm-hmm. right? It just, it just seems incoherent to him. And this again is not some, you know, illiterate 
you know, backwater, dark age guy. This is this is a a, a thinker of almost unpar um, almost unparalleled in his in his time. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, who we mentioned before, the 13th century monk who championed the cosmological argument, mm -hmm. also presents the teleological argument. Yeah, in some ways, the teleological argument is an extension. Right, it is. It is the reasonable conclusion of the cosmological argument. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Because the the cosmological argument starts from the beginning, and the teleological argument starts from the end. I'm just going to read a little brief paragraph from his his writings um, in the Summa Theologica. The fifth way, which is what he refers to the teleological argument as, the fifth way is taken from the governance of the world. We see that things which lack knowledge, such as natural bodies, act for an end. And this is evident from their acting always or nearly always in the same way so as to obtain the best result. Hence, it is plain that they achieve their end, not fortuitously, that means not by chance, but designedly. Now, whatever lacks knowledge cannot move towards an end unless it be directed by some being endowed with knowledge and intelligence as the arrow is directed by the archer. Therefore, some intelligent being exists by whom all natural things are directed towards their end, and this being we call God. Right. Yeah, so in that he has not only the teleological argument, but he also has uh, the ontological argument, right? Right. The, the one who is above all, creator of all. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And so later, this becomes... The classic watchmaker thing. Right. Right? Right. Uh, name on that one I'm forgetting. Uh, Paley. Paley. Um, and, and the notion then is complexity and system requires a plan. Right. You don't accidentally get complexity. And you don't accidentally get systems. Right. There's design. This is also called the intelligent design theory. Right. Right. Um, so, so then to do this philosophically, you have to ask the question, does complexity require design? Does the watch require a watchmaker? Right. It seems to be yes. It seems obvious in many ways to be yes. There are those who will still say no. Right. I wonder if those people ever assume walking through the forest and finding a watch. Right. If they think to themselves in the moment, oh no, someone lost their watch. Right. <laughs> or do they ever think to themselves, whoa, what a strange plant that is. What a strange coincidence of events that these pieces right. would come together and create this thing, which will also serve me a very useful function. Right. And, telling time. And so... What some people would say, so so Paley was the guy who came up with this whole idea, like walking mm -hmm. around in the forest, you stumble upon a watch, you assume there's a watchmaker, right? Now, you know, opponents of this argument would say, well, we know that a watch is created by a person because we've, we can see someone make a watch, right? Like right. we could, there's a, how it's made for how a watch is made. And so we know that this is the kind of thing that is made by people and that, you know, the watch is not the same thing as the universe. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. The universe is far, 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 far more complex than a watch. Right. Right. And so they would say, well, it's not the same thing. You're comparing apples to oranges and we're like, you're right. You're right. The, the watch is something that it can be constructed by the mind of a human being, mm -hmm. right? Its complexity requires a, a mind of greater complexity, right? The, 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 the person making the thing has to be greater than the thing that it's making, right? Right? So we And would, also it's energy. You can animate the watch. Right. It doesn't matter what we do with tissue... If you take, for example, cells, one, to bring that material from nothing, the cosmological argument, mm. but to animate that into something that becomes self-animating, right? there's there's no way we can do that. Right, right. Or have ever done that. Right. 
Right. So it, it, it is a greater complexity. Right. Now, yeah, again, and so a, if opponents of this view, they're going to they're gonna say, well, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And we're like, exactly. That's the, that's the point. Yep. Right? Um, they're going to use that as a dismissive thing. Yeah. And that's where, that's where my first statement was. If you truly hold to this, and I would argue that most truly don't, even if they say they do. And, and I think the test of that is to say, what's your initial thought? When you find a thing, mm-hmm. is your initial thought, someone must have dropped this, or does your brain genuinely think this might just have come to be? Right. Like they're, they're walking down the sidewalk and they see a kid's mitten. Do they hang it up on the uh, fire hydrant pole thing so that when the kid comes to school the next day, they'll walk past it and see it and grab it because that's what we do here? Right. Or do they just go, wow, this world of chance and probabilities is a fascinating place to live. Right, right. Right, like what's their initial <laughs> reaction? And, and, and that's not to be belittling, and it's not to, and I don't think it can be dismissed. I don't think you can shrug that off. Like your, genuinely, your genuine gut response is very telling. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say that's a first test. Right. Even though our guy, we're going to get into his tests. Right. That's not his first test. I think it. I think it's a reasonable first test. Yeah. Yeah. And well, why don't we? Get, why don't we get it? You have notes on the test, then. I do. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Second, what is his first test? Some things in life don't have a purpose, or not a definable purpose. Right. First thing I'm going to say before before I just completely blow this out of the water. <laughs> first thing I'm going to say is evolution does this all the time. Sure it does. Evolution, like evolutionists are always trying to say every aspect of a being has a purpose that has come to be over time. So one of the things that he likes to come against is to say, people who believe in this try to assign purpose. And he even goes so far in a petty way as to say, my finger might perfectly pick my nose, but that doesn't mean that it's its purpose. You've assigned that purpose to it. Right. Uh, it doesn't mean that's why it was designed. One, not everything has a singular purpose. Right. That was the thing that I thought. Right. I was like, okay, well, whether or not your 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 index finger was designed to pick your nose or not, one, it is uh, it is effective in that. But I wouldn't used, know, but I'll it, take your word. Sure, whatever. Everyone pretends they don't pick their nose, whatever. <laughs> um, I stand by the fact that I think the overwhelming majority of people actually do, so whatever. <laughs> Prove me wrong, but... It, no, but... but but the, your finger, your index finger is used for so many things. Absolutely. Right? So he uses like, he uses one of like obscure potential use. It's like, yeah, but your index finger can do so many right. amazing and wonderful things. And he's like, well, it's not as Right. So his, his whole point is, oh my goodness. his whole point is, I don't think the only purpose of my finger is to pick my nose. God doesn't exist. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, what? Like, that's a leap, bro. It is. Like, that's a leap. It is. Taxpayer but, dollars but in my the thought, U.S. of A. going to you know going to a good cause. If it was in Canada, they would definitely have not taken that position, right? Uh, okay, yeah, they wouldn't even had the conversation. So in Canada, they'd be so, like, "We're not even entertain the possibility that God exists." So, so the first thing is just to say what he was doing is is just abounding in evolutionary science. Sure, trying to assign reasons for things because if they prove reason for it they can say this is how natural selection weeded out the rest because those who have this lived evolution's true right right right. uh so one i was like that that is very condemning because later he's going to cite evolution as a as a a purpose right um (laughs) secondly secondly when he talks about things with no purpose he says things like uh this was expertly dismissed by a man who said bunny's tails the puffy white tail of a rabbit only exists so that hunters have something better to aim at. Yeah. One, guy's not a hunter. Definitely no not. No one's shooting a rabbit <laughs> from behind like that. You can tell by looking at him. Right. He's not. If you're going to shoot a rabbit, you don't want to shoot it like that. No. You're going to ruin all of the meat inside. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and two, a- again, he's hyper-isolating a purpose. Right. He's picking a random thing and saying, if I can't figure out what this is, then there is no design. If, if I don't know... The purpose for every possible thing, 
then there is no purpose for anything. Right. Which is really silly. <laughs> right? The watch, the watch is made out of certain kinds of metals. Why those metals and not others? Maybe decorative. Right. Maybe maybe decoration is the reason he chose gold. Yeah, maybe because it looks beautiful. Yeah. And maybe that fluffy tail on the bunny. It's the same thing. Exactly. Maybe. I know. It was such a ridiculous, like, uh, I was so disappointed with this guy. Right. And I actually had a grudging respect for him. I was like, you know what? This is a guy. He's obviously not a believer, but he wants to think deeply about things. And so, like, I want, I, I don't want to just, like, toss him in the bin. Yeah, it's an expression of willful disbelief. But that's what it is. Yeah. He doesn't want to believe it. And so so instead of like really thinking these things through, mm-hmm. he's eager to grab whatever sides with him. Right. By the way, church, we do this too. We do. Be we careful. Be careful. Exactly. Um, so yeah, just because I can't explain the purpose for everything doesn't mean that I can explain. Or it doesn't mean that... Uh, hold on. If I can't explain the purpose for everything then not everything has a purpose. If not everything has a purpose, God doesn't exist. Right. Then nothing has a purpose. Right. Yeah. Which is powerfully silly. Right. Um, it would be like saying your, your kid drew a picture. Like your kids are at the age where they're drawing pictures. They are. And they're bringing to. it to you. Yeah. And you're going, I don't know what this is. Right. That doesn't mean that they didn't draw the picture. Right. Just because you can't identify what it is. Uh, The next thing that he argues is things aren't perfect. Oh, yeah. Our eyes have blind spots. Yes. Why would God create a blind spot? One, God didn't create blind spots. Mm. Probably a product of the fall, right? Uh, In in the same way toward um, cancer, why are some tissues prone to cancer? Right. Why do hurricanes happen? Sin in the fall? That's what we would say. Right. I I would say there is no Christian argument that says God designed this world and it functions perfectly in accordance with his design. Right. That you stand opposed to God proves that it doesn't work perfectly according to his design and for his glory. Right. There is brokenness of sin. Right. In this world, that is not a Christian argument. But also, the watch needs to be wound. It needs a battery. It is imperfect. Over the course of a great amount of time, maybe, if the watch is made well, but over some period of time, the watch is going to need to be corrected. Right. But you would still not deny the existence of the watch right. maker or the, yeah, exactly. based on the watch itself. Right. The argument is not, unless things are perfect, they don't have a designer. That's what he was saying, yeah. Right. And so, and so the point is to say... He, he would come back to that and he would say, no, but you're saying an omniscient, omnipotent designer. Mm. And I would say, yes, but you're not accounting for the fall. If you right. want to take my theology into this argument, fine, we can go further. But the initial statement of the argument is, if it's not perfect, it doesn't have a designer. Right. This is also one that uh, Dawkins uses to say, I can think of a thousand ways that I would have made almost everything better. Right. To which Linux beautifully says, then do it. <laughs> well, Good luck. To which I would say, by what standard? Right. Like or how, well, why, why Better is, or different? Why is it better? Like why, like by what standard do you even judge better or worse? Mm-hmm. What is better or worse in your mind? And like, and how do you even quantify that? Like now we're getting into something Right, maybe a different conversation, but like, and that's, that's where just, I would say they're they're not speaking to the point. Mm-hmm. They're speaking to a point down the road, right? But it doesn't even stand up down the road because if you're going to follow me down the road, you're also going to have to hear my theory, based from scripture, that the world was created as good, and sin ushered in total depravity. Every aspect of creation touched and ruined mm-hmm. to some degree or another. By sin, right? Why do some tissues cause have, show to be more prone to cancer? Not because they were designed that way, but because of sin, right? Right. Uh, there are better solutions to why things are complex, i.e., evolution. Right. Here's the problem with the evolutionary argument. We're going to get into this 
probably at some point as a standalone yeah, argument. Yeah, we'll get back into it. I'm going to give you five minutes uh, that, to me, make evolution as the answer to the teleological argument per se absolutely pointless. First, I would ask you to consider the concept of natural selection. The concept of natural selection is that thing which is most equipped to survive will survive and thrive. And those things that are less equipped will perish. Right. Why then would we argue that the simplest life forms have evolved into the more complex life forms? For example, in order for me to survive, I need a house, I need clothing, I need so many things that an ape doesn't need. Mm. I know that they was well, you're not technically evolved from an ape, but whatever. But even if we go back to that sort of thing, yeah. ape doesn't need all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He just does his thing out where he's at. Yeah, right. I am not as strong, not as fast, not as self reliant as an ape. By the very standard of natural selection, mm-hmm. I have less right to be here than an ape. Pull it back even further. Yeah. Bacteria you, you have to and single-cell organisms yeah. can live in extraordinarily acidic, extraordinarily cold, and extraordinarily hot environments that the human body will not exist in. Yeah. It is ridiculous to believe that m- the more complexity, because all it is is the more things to go wrong. Right. Right? right. So we should see evolution working the opposite way. It should be those things that are simplest— and most adapt to the most environments, thrive and become dominant species. Right. Yeah. We are We're, far too high maintenance. Exactly. I was just going to use that To be word. the primacy of evolution. Exactly. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. And so, so I would add to that that idea. So, kind of coming from it from a different angle, just because mm-hmm. I'm going to go for a couple minutes here on my my. Oh, I, I got another one too. So we'll we can, okay. we can camp here. So my my thing is the idea of irreducible complexity. Mm-hmm. So, so this was kind of championed by a guy named Michael Behe, who's uh, an American biochemist. But he essentially said, okay, so you if you have a system that's made up of like a number of different parts that interact with each other that are that match, right? Right, that all kind of contribute to the basic functioning of that system. If you oftentimes what you'll see is if you remove any one part of of that complexity mm-hmm. of that puzzle, suddenly it doesn't work anymore. Right. So he used the example of a mouse trap. Now people have tried to debunk this, but but I'm well, let's get in there. So use the mouse trap example. You have the base, you have the catch, the spring, the hammer, the bar, the hold down bar. Any of those things are missing. It's not a functioning mousetrap. Now, some people say, well, sure, but I mean, if you have any, you know, maybe you have two or three of those parts and you still have something that does a thing, but not catches mice, but it does a thing. Mm -hmm. And just so happens that when you add it with all these other things, then it will also catch mice. Okay. All right. Well, let's get a little bit more complex. Let's talk about the eye. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the flagellum, that little tail on the on the cell that operates essentially like an outboard motor, right? Now, someone would argue, okay, well, okay, well, we can have stone arches, right? So where, you know, if you remove one stone of the arch, the whole thing crumbles, but they're built one stone at a time by having like a centerpiece that holds it all in place until the arch is complete and then you remove it, okay? So they're like, oh, see, so you can have a thing that's, that is irreducible complexity, but there's another piece in place and it's only once you remove it that it's irreducibly complex. Okay, sure. But that in and of itself is not a random process. It's by design. Someone is building that thing right. over the, someone implemented, like, like that, they're, they're like, yeah, so obviously that's not a good argument because you could theoretically do this. And it's like, well, now all of a sudden we're introducing a, a mind mm-hmm. into this scenario that's exactly what we're arguing for. So you have to argue for a scenario where no mind is required, mm-hmm. right? It, like, So I, I've never heard that argument. My first two responses to that would be, one, you need to prove the value of this thing as it is 
coming up to an arch yes. as necessary in order for the species to exist, right? Not just not just a random occurrence, mm-hmm. but as a necessary thing that gives it an advantage. Right. And then that last piece in is the final product. Right. Right. But in order for this organism's genes to continue above others, one, you have to prove that is an advantage. Two, the entire thing is an, is a misnomer because if you are setting something in its place to hold the arch up you are effectively putting in the center stone. It is just made of wood for now. Right. Right? Yeah. And so whether or not it's made of wood or made of stone really is neither here nor there. The center stone has always been there, and the arch doesn't exist without it. Right. That you replaced what was the centerpiece with another centerpiece does not make it now complete. Right. Right? So, yeah, yeah, that's not a great one. So, no, so, and so some people then also kind of against this intelligent design argument argue that, well, okay, well, we set up computers that operate with certain algorithms, certain programming that can produce solutions to problems. So the computers were kind of set to task to kind of like do the evolutionary thing, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so the computers are faced with a, a evo- quote-unquote evolutionary problem. They need to remove unnecessary parts and add new ones over time to solve the issue. And the argument is that these programs can solve these issues independently. Okay, so the computer did the thing. Mm-hmm. So obviously, the evolutionary process is valid. It totally ignores the fact that the computers themselves were built by a designer. Right. Like, it's just, and I read that, I read that on like, like on a, in a, in like a, a science, on a scientific website. And I'm thinking to myself, and nobody mentioned that. They're just like, yeah, so we developed these, you know, these computer programs that like did this thing. And I'm like, yeah, but somebody built those computers. But somebody but, programmed those right. computers there's, to do the job. There's three levels to that. Again, I've, I've not heard this one, but there's three levels to that. One, there's the designer of the computer. Yep. Two, there's the writer of the algorithm. Yep. And three, their argument is for the existence of the the solution, which the solution is not animated or actual. Right. Right? It's theoretical. So, so the computer itself is also a designer. Right. Right? And the thing doesn't actually exist. Right. Right? And so... <laughs> So what they've done is they've in, in order in order to prove existence, complex existence mm-hmm. without a designer, they've invoked three designers and come out with no actual product. Yes. That's awesome, boys. <laughs> yeah. So mine was also uh irreducible complexity. Okay, okay. I think the ultimate expression of irreducible complexity is mammalian sexual reproduction. Mm-hmm. All right. So the argument would have to be this. Uh, first, as a play off of my first argument, the simpler the form, the more likely it is to reproduce. Right. Asexual reproduction yeah. is so much more handy right. than sexual reproduction. Yes. Right? That an organism can reproduce itself mm-hmm. without the contribution of another insist that this thing is going to continue to do this. Right. There's nothing stopping it. Right. Right? Sexual reproduction has so many obstacles along the way. Right? Comparatively. Sure. Yeah. So Maybe for some more than others. No, so, that's true. <laughs> so so when we when we look at this and we look at it from an evolutionary process, mm. asexual reproduction is received as the first. Right. And then to evolve, the more advantageous natural selection was that beings came to be that were incapable of reproducing themselves, right? but had rather half of what they needed. Let's grant that. Okay, I'm with you. In that exact same generation... Because that mutation can't take place and then die off. But in an exact same generation, an opposing being (laughs) with the other half came to be. Right. And not only is it in in the chromosome that they share half, they also share a physical capacity to share those chromosomes and the knowledge that they have that physical capacity. Right. The geographic positioning 
that they would meet, right? Yeah. Uh, that they would not be, they would not see each other as competition, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot going on here. Oh, yeah. Then this, the receiver of that information, that second bit of information, we would call them female, mm-hmm. would have the capacity within them to store and duplicate this these cells until and feed it right with its own body right especially in the course of mammals yeah. right yeah. And, until it's capable of living outside of that body right but placenta all these things you you can't you right. can't be like well there was a time when they gave they were able to do both to keep a baby in the womb without a placenta that was a later evolution no way it doesn't work yeah right yeah. Uh, you talk to anyone who has either who either is or has gone through this process, like there's so much the doctors are constantly checking for, right? right. Because it is so complex mm-hmm. and cannot be reduced, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, one of his one of his dismissals was like uh, of things not being perfect was what about. Um, umbilical cords that get wrapped around babies, right? And right you're like, right. what about the umbilical cord, <laughs> right? And so, and so this this person is able to house this person, right? Until that one is ready to be born, right? It is perfectly born and unable to feed itself by the means that this first generation was able to feed itself but that's okay because the female also has within them a full system mm-hmm. capable of nursing this baby mm-hmm. until it is ready to break out on solid foods on its own yeah. Yeah. it is so ridiculously complex i know it requires so many levels and the only ar- argument you can make is this did not exist and all of these systems, this isn't a single system, all of these systems came to be in the same place and within the same generation, and those figured it out, mm-hmm. and from there, it yep. continued to evolve. Because it doesn't even have to be human. Like, you could take that, right. you could be like, well, right. it started more simply that, fine. You can make it rodents, you can make it whatever. These systems are equally complex, mm-hmm. regardless of what the species actually is. Right. And there's no way to reduce that system. Right. And you said the eyeball. Yeah. There's no purpose for the evolution of the eyeball. Right. Even if it was at one point a, a, a sensor capable of perceiving light right. inside of a closed skull, there's no advantage to that. Right. Right? So why does that trait as a mutation continue? Right. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So irreducible complexity is the greatest challenge yeah. to evolution. And yeah. genuine genuinely this guy takes the concept of better solutions and just says uh evolution we don't have to believe in god anymore because evolution and moves on. Yeah, that's literally it. That's literally how he ends it. But here's what you need to know guys. The number of academics around the world who still hold to darwinian evolution as the solution for life without a God is dwindling. Yeah. There are a number who are coming at it and going, we got real problems. We're not ready to take the God route. Sure. Oh, yeah. Definitely but not. we have to rethink Darwinian yeah. evolution because yeah. it has too many holes. Yeah. And there, there's been all, and again, like people could go online and, and there, there have been attempts to kind of debunk the irreducible complexity argument and that sort of thing. Well, the, the various parts could have played other roles and then it was only once all the pieces came together that they played a different role. But like the, the likelihood of this is just insane. And the, the timeline, as you mentioned, right? Like everything coming to place all at once. They would say, well, maybe not. Like maybe it was just like various pieces which did have particular roles or maybe they didn't and they were just anomalies, but then over time they became beneficial. And so what they do is they just blanket the whole conversation in a smokescreen of billions of years. Yeah. The whole, the right? whole so that's, question, the that, whole answer is, but what if it did? Right, right, right. So that's, yeah, exactly. Right. So it's like, well, this isn't really logical, but if we add enough time and enough chance, enough rolls of the dice over mm-hmm. enough years, over enough millennia or millions, billions of years, then suddenly, well, anything's possible. 
Right. Right. And this is, and this kind of gets to the, to kind of one of the last things that, that I wanted to talk about. Hold on. I, I got one more oh, of his sorry. arguments. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I would say the what if argument, the best answer to the, well, what if it did? Right. Well, it possibly could have. What if it did? Sure. Well, I would say, okay, I'm going to be with you on that. Right. right. I, you win. Right. What if God exists? Right. Because if we're going to talk about anything's possible, then you also, fine, you win, but what if God exists? All right? Now we're on a level playing field. Let's do the science that you want to do and say, what are probabilities? Okay, we're going in the same direction. Okay, right? so we're good. We're what good, are good. scientific probabilities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His last argument was, you cannot argue these things from probability because you need multiple worlds to calculate outcomes and to devise probabilities. Right. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. You don't need multiple worlds. You need multiple scenarios. And in no scenario in our world do we find the laws of entropy reversed. <laughs> right. The laws of thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics in Newtonian physics yep. is the law of entropy. Yep. Things move toward chaos and not toward order. Right. By the way, Isaac Newton argued for intelligent design, just so we're clear. The, right. the father of modern physics, just so we're, we're clear. Right. And so, and so to argue that all things, because, because you can't just say, well, maybe humanity did come to be, because order exists in everything. So you would have to say all things move towards order, which would then become self-contradictory as we say, all things move towards chaos. Right. So what is it? Right. In order for them to move toward chaos means there has to have been order. Right. How did they get there? Are you going to say they, by chance, moved toward order? Well, you can't, because your argument is that they're moving toward chaos. Mm -hmm. There was only time, there was only one time, according to us Christians, when disorder and chaos became order, mm -hmm. and that was through the creative process of God. Right. Right? So we have an answer for that. But like, again, yeah, that's a, that's a huge thing, right? Like th this is a reversal of just kind of basic foundational laws of how the universe operates. And, and some would say, the argument is out there, we need to move on from Newtonian physics. The reason is not because it is observably true, right? Like a lot of people like to do the whole like evolution thing. And, and sometimes Christians wrongly will say, well, it's the theory of evolution because it's not been proved. And they will say, well... Theories can be firmly planted, even if they've not been proved, right? It still doesn't make their case. If you want to prove it, if you wanted proved it would be a law, it still stands, no matter how firmly you believe the theory to be in place. Yet, Newtonian physics has been known as law for a very long time. The laws of thermodynamics have been the laws of thermodynamics since their inception. But whereas they want to hang on to these theories, they're ready to move on from the laws. Why? Oh because these laws cannot answer, or these laws play into the hands of the teleological argument. What a parallel just to things beyond the scientific argument as well in our society, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk, want to talk about morality, we want to talk about good and evil, right? People want to cling to these theories of how these things came about and the, the, the kind of the solid foundations of what is observably true, Mm -hmm. is rejected whether those are questions of right and wrong whether those are questions of like i mean gender right mm -hmm. now like it's just it's absolute nonsense people are 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 jettisoning facts in favor of theory right right and that is what's happening with the second law of thermo thermodynamics that's what's happening with newtonian physics is like people are saying we need to get rid of this because this is a barrier to our explanation for there not being a God. Even though we so, know it's true. It is so important to so many people to dis, quote unquote, disprove the existence of God or provide an explanation for existence that does not involve anything remotely close to a God or higher form of intelligence or design or anything. It is so vitally important to the worldview of these people that they are willing to question things that are are have been agreed upon for like for centuries because because they just need it to be mm -hmm. they and, just and need it and the claim the claim of science 
when people say science trumps religion. Sure. But what you're doing is you're setting science aside. Right. You're not using science. Right. If you were to genuinely use science, you would find the teleological argument is sound. Right. And the cosmological argument are sound based on science. You're setting science aside by saying, but what if it did? Right. And then you want to turn your nose up and say, you have religion, we have science, right. and we're more educated. But the truth is, you have neither. In We've already talked about Romans 1. Mm. The things of God were observable, but they suppressed them. Right. Because of their own evil desires. Right. 2 Timothy 3, 7... They are ever learning, but not coming to a knowledge of the truth. Yeah. Both of those things are true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're indicative of our society, right? And, you know, and there's all sorts of other things, like not to throw more curveballs as we kind of wind this thing down, but some people have said, well, yes, the likelihood of, of you know, things happening, the likelihood of Earth being habitable and you know possible for life the likelihood of the development of or the the evolution of of you know microorganisms into sentient human beings is is infinitesimally small but what the, what they, again they'll do is they'll just throw kind of the like they throw this massive amount of time they'll just throw in this massive amount of universes well there's an infinite number of universes and an infinite number of worlds so surely our world exists and there'll be a world that's just like ours but the sky is red instead of blue or whatever right like again but the problem is here's the thing so dawkins would argue that okay well it would seem maybe that there is an argument for the intelligent design, but I reject that. So instead, there's just this infinite number of universes and we're just one possibility. But the problem is like when you avoid what seems to be true, what, what actually seems to be the most logical explanation and you go for something else and then you're like, okay, well, then what's the explanation of that? What's the explanation of that? Like you get into that infinite regress thing that we talked about a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago, right? And so you get into this like crazy, it's like the suspension of reality, right? It's like, well, we're going to just take it for granted that the existence of God or the existence of an intelligent designer, even a creative force is impossible and so we're just going to try to keep kicking this can further and further back in history however many billions of years we need to go in order for it to make some kind of sense and like once we add enough ambiguity with you know however many billions of years and it keeps changing it was six billion when i was in school it's i don't know what it is now 20 or 30 billion now it's like whatever and again like I'm not here planting the flag on the earth is only 6,000 years old or whatever. Like that's not where I'm standing, but like they just keep kicking this can further and further and further back in order to kind of lay this smoke screen. And really the position is just devoid of real concrete claims. It's just, well, God can't be real. So we'll just grasp. It's grasping at straws. Yeah. Because, because like you said, the, the multiverse argument for those that may not know, Right, the multiverse argument is if you give enough enough opportunities, something could happen. Right, right. I've seen memes where there's like the, there's a dryer, and all the clothes inside of the dryer are folded and stacked. Right, and it said in a mul- in a world of infinite possibilities, this is a a possibility. Mm. Right, you're like, okay, sure, but it's not it's no one's reality. Right, right, um, <laughs> and 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 there's the one famous from Time Magazine that if you gave enough monkeys a typewriter. Yeah. Eventually, one of them, just by random chance, would perfectly type out Shakespeare's Hamlet in its complete form. Like, okay, but what are the odds, right? right. But their argument would be like, but there are odds. Right, right. That's granted, what they would say. Yeah. Granted, granted. But we're not talking about any one event. We're talking about every organized event in all of the observable universe. Right. Right? So... The exponential growth of the improbability when you don't isolate to a single event, even in a single event, accidental complexity, they will admit, is profoundly unlikely. But we have to apply that to all events, right? Mm -hmm. So they say, well, in a multiverse, however, 
Multiverse does not answer the ontological argument. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that there is a single being that is the greatest in all universes? Right. Why not? Right? The origin, the cosmological argument, mm -hmm. where, does, where did these universes come from? Right. Each one of them and the collective need an origin. Right. Right? The teleological argument, that these universes are organized and separated requires some kind of answer. You're not answering a question. Right. You're just running from it. The right. fourth problem with it is, even if you were right, our universe appears to have been cre created by a higher being. You have to acknowledge that in a world of infinite universes, that is also one of the infinite possibilities and is our reality. Right. So we are where we are. <laughs> and thank you for pointing that out. Right. I, I, I saw a meme the other day that maybe you can wrap this thing up. And it kind of explains the intense desire for so many people to really run from the, the possibility of, of the existence of God. I don't think there's a lot of non-believers who are, who are honestly like, who are honestly and sincerely entertaining that option. Mm -hmm. Right. At, at least in, in this, in this arena. And the meme essentially said that, you know, there's, there's two steps to being an atheist. One, God doesn't exist. Two, I hate him. Right. <laughs> and that is like, that made me chuckle, but it's so true. Mm -hmm. It's so true when you listen to the leading thinkers who would, you know, try to smash these ideas. Even this guy who, you know, this PBS show who smugly has his video, right? I don't believe God exists and I hate him. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's only that kind of active hatred and rejection that would cause people to totally, totally um, ignore any possibility of there being purpose and order and reason mm -hmm. in, in the world in which we live. What are we talking about next week? I don't even know, man. If there's one more... Is there? Logical argument, maybe? Sure. I don't remember. I, I don't know either. <laughs> Surprise! Anyway, week. regardless, three in, I think all three of them, I would say the first and the last ontological argument, I, I'm less uh, dogmatic on. Mm. Um, does a God exist? Is it a reasonable option? I would say these things prove that it is. It is a reality. Yeah, I would agree. It is, it is necessary. Um, does that mean that Christians blindly follow? I think the arguments against prove otherwise. Right. I think, I think the arguments against prove that Christian thought, de deistic thought, because that's where we're at on the journey mm -hmm. thus far, mm -hmm. is the superior logic. Yeah. I think atheism blindly ignores. And I think it is... It is easier to defend, it is more logically defensible, mm -hmm. and has fewer holes. Right. And so so the whole notion, like, I mean, it's the first day of February, and we're supposed to be laying out this apologetics for a year. Mm -hmm. You don't need a year's worth of apologetics to say, the argument that Christians are Christians because they don't think, or that deists are just religious people because that's what they were told to do, and they've they've never had a, a logical or scientific thought, and they run from those things. No, yeah, it doesn't stand. Yeah. It might it might stand for some, but that's coincidental, right? Right. Um, at best, it's par in the playing field. Mm. I would obviously argue that this is the greater school of thought. Yeah. And when people... The, greater, the, the more accurate conclusion. Right. And when people might say, you know, well, then why then are there so many people who, you know, who argue for the opposite, especially nowadays? I mean, it wasn't really common until the Enlightenment and beyond. Um, like, the reality, and to kind of transition from philosophy to theology, like, it's because people hate God. Mm -hmm. Like, you're... you're like, and, and hate is such a strong word, but like, I think in certain contexts, it's appropriate, and like people need to understand that. Yep. Your unbelieving neighbors and children and friends 
hate God. They hate the concept of God so much that they'll be willfully ignorant, that they will they will suspend reason. They'll do whatever it is that they can to create an environment where he does not need to exist and they can they can ignore him. But again, it's not something you need to throw in people's face and get angry about, but it's something that we need to be aware of. Yeah, because I, I think what happens when we when we're aware of that is we feel less pressured to come up with the better argument. Mm-hmm. So many people tell me they don't share their faith because what if they're asked a question they can't answer? I think I think acknowledging that helps us to realize we don't need the better answer. What we need is for God to change their heart. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada. It's produced by Alex Walker. Thanks for listening. See you next time.